Day 28, the Ancient of Days, Daniel 7, verses 8 to 12. While I was considering the horns, suddenly another horn, a little one, came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. And suddenly in this horn there were eyes like the eyes of a human, and a mouth that was speaking arrogantly. As I kept watching, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white like snow, and the hair of his head like the whitest wool. His throne was flaming fire, its wheels were blazing fire. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from his presence. Thousands upon thousands served him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was convened and the books were opened. I watched then because of the sound of the arrogant words the horn was speaking. As I continued watching, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to the burning fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was removed but an extension of life was granted to them for a certain period of time. This is the word of God. Yesterday, we read of Daniel's vision of the four consecutive beast kingdoms which were devouring and would devour the world's people. We read that the fourth beast had ten horns in verse 7. Bible scholars are divided on what these ten horns refer to. Some say the ten horns underline the extreme power of this empire. Others say that it signifies ten rulers in the Roman Empire. From Julius Caesar to Domitian, there were twelve Caesars, though two of them reigned for only a few months. A third option, which is the one highlighted yesterday, is that these ten horns represent an indefinite number of kingdoms that follow on from Roman power even while continuing in its pattern. Now today, as we continue with Daniel's vision, we encounter a new horn that begins small but eventually overpowers three other horns, becoming more intelligent, indicated by its many eyes, and arrogant, indicated by its boasting mouth, and more powerful. What does this horn refer to? Respected theologian Michael Eaton says this, This little horn is one of the earliest mentions of the figure that Paul calls the man of sin. Paul taught that the second coming of Jesus would be preceded by the arrival of a fearful enemy. He says, Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Three of the ten horns are then uprooted. Interpreters find this line difficult to interpret. In some way, the rise of the little horn will have damaging and destructive consequences among a section of the nations that arise out of the Roman Empire. What this means in exact detail, no one seems to know. 
It must be that the rise of the little horn will cause great disturbances politically and socially. The anti-God movement that will, at some point, precede the second coming of Jesus will have both political and religious aspects, it seems. Daniel stresses the former. Paul stresses the latter. More than that, we cannot say. When it happens, we shall be clear as to what precisely was intended. Fulfillment is the final interpretation of prophecy. Come what may, God never gives too much airtime to his enemies. As we are asking our questions about the Antichrist, Daniel's unfolding vision moves to a king whose greatness and beauty is unrivaled. What do we learn about God, the Ancient of Days, in this vision? Well, that God is king over all. God takes his seat on a throne. In heaven's courtroom, God the Father sits as ruler of all things and all people in history. The 10,000 times 10,000 speaks of the uncountable peoples of human history that God rules over, and more specifically, those who will worship and enjoy him for all eternity. We also learn that God plans to share his rule with vice-regents. Thrones were set in place. This refers to God's plan to bring redeemed humanity up as his vice-regents, executing his will within his world. Thirdly, we see that God is untainted purity. His snow-white clothing represents God's radiant goodness. As the incorruptible king and judge, he will always do what is right. Fourth, God is wisest of all. White hair speaks of the wisdom that comes with age. By virtue of his creating everything and everyone, the ancient of days is older than all. As king and judge, he will always know the best path to take. Fifthly, God holds us accountable. One day, the books will be opened. There in the heavenly throne room, each of us and every nation will give account to God and receive our due from him. God may delay in his judgment, but not indefinitely. Sixth, God is blazing holiness. The flaming river of God's holiness flows from him into every situation he attends to, burning away what is evil and defiled and catching it alight with his purity and perfection. And seventh, God is a fierce warrior. The throne is on wheels. It is a chariot. God has a fearsome ability to take on and destroy all his enemies, including the arrogant little horn of an antichrist. One day, Satan will make one last attempt to defy the living God, only to be thrown into the flames of hell, along with the antichrist and the God-marginalizing people. What about you? Of the seven descriptions of God in this passage, which is most meaningful to you today? Why not turn your reflection into prayer?